Welcome to How I Work, a show about the tactics used by leading innovators to get so much out of their day. I'm your host, Dr. Amantha Imber. I'm an organizational psychologist, the CEO of Inventium, and I'm obsessed with finding ways to optimize my workday. This episode is another My Favorite Tip episode. The title's probably pretty self-explanatory. It's about my favorite tip from each of the interviews I conduct. I use this format because I sometimes feel myself as a podcast listener that I just want to get in, get the most amount of value from an episode and then get out. So in this format, I try to do just that. So my guest today is Rachel Botsman. Rachel is a world-renowned expert on technology and trust and author of two best-selling books. Her first book was called What's Mine is Yours, which was all about collaborative consumption. And her second book, Who Can You Trust?, explores how technology is transforming trust and what this means for life, work, and how we do business. Rachel is also a lecturer at Oxford University and has been recognized as one of the most creative people in business by Fast Company and is one of the 50 most influential management thinkers in the world. Now, Rachel also happens to have delivered a couple of TED Talks that have been viewed by literally millions of people. And I shared the stage with Rachel at a few events recently, and I think that she is such a superb presenter. So in this excerpt, I asked Rachel all about how she goes about preparing for a talk. Over to Rachel. So I think the main, I can't watch early speeches, like it's quite For me, I can see how clumsy they are. Um, And in terms of preparation, um, I've found that you can speak to the event organizer um, and with all due respect, they'll tell you the number of people that's going to be in the room and they'll tell you what the room's like and they'll tell you what they want you to talk about. But then I always know if I'm talking to the right person because I say, well, why do you really want me there? And why have you put me in this particular slot? And how do you want your audience to feel? And this was a really new question that I started asking. And if they said, I don't really know, then you're not speaking to the right person. You're not speaking to the person that said, we should have Rachel here. And so insisting that you have that briefing with that person is really important because otherwise you're going in dark. Um, so that's been really key is, is really using briefings in the right kind of way. The feeling question is really interesting because people can say, well, they often say, I want you to talk about trust in the digital age, whatever that means. If you say to them, well, how do you want people to feel? They're then really thinking about the state of the audience. So they'll say, some people say, I want them to feel challenged um, or I want them to feel inspired. They're two really different speeches. Um, And there you get your guidance on, tone and content um, and delivery. So that's been really key is, is the briefing. Um, I'll then put something together. So um, I kind of have this, it might be worth describing actually, because people say, well, how do you put speeches together? And I found, um, so I write um, blocks around particular examples and stories. So Facebook's a really good example. A lot of people want me to talk about Facebook as a Cambridge Analytica. And so I'll have speaking points in a Google Doc. And then every time I think of a new point or it changes on stage, I edit that in the Google Doc. And then I have a slide library that is like, if you saw the organization, it's so anal. Like it's just, 
it's quite I actually think it's quite beautiful in terms of information design not to I didn't do it so but it makes it so easy that I can look at it and I think it comes from writing is that you're literally oh I'll pull that story and I'll pull that story so how's that organized that slide file can you can you paint a picture of that um so it's on Dropbox practically um and like the highest folder so my previous work was all called sharing so that's all in one thing and then the new work's called trust and then you go in and it will have like core concepts and then you go into core concepts and it will have like core things that I've written about um that's sort of my ideas so like trust leaps being one of them or um risk propensity or whatever it is, um, trust evolution. And then you go into that folder and it's got all the slides and stories attached to that concept. Um, another folder will have other people's quotes. So these are other people that I find interesting that have spoken about vulnerability or trust or risk. Um, another folder will be all organized by company example. So uh, Uber will have a folder. Facebook will have a folder. Airbnb will have a folder. This is what I mean. Like, it's oh, really, I mean, this is great. Um, and then, so, and things can live in two places, but only two places. That's another rule. Because <laughs> otherwise you end up with too much duplication. Um, and then I have a really important folder, which is evolving ideas. Um, and these are things that, um, and really, as I'm saying this, um, material being tested so this is these are ideas I'm testing on the stage that I know are not right. Um, material ready to be designed. Um, and this is when I've I know it's working. So Jerry Seinfeld describes it as fishing. Um, so as a comedian, you fish and you feel when you've got a bite, and the work that you do on stage is turn that bite into actually catching the fish. And then for me, because slides and stories are so important, I then can get to the stage of I know how this is visualized. I know. No, I'm loving this. This is great. <laughs> so it's a real process behind it. So it makes it really easy because, and I have a rule um, where I always test something new in a speech, always. But if you're testing more than 20%, it's not going to go great. So when organizers say I want something completely new, I'm like, you don't. Like, this has taken years. Like, it takes about 10 speeches to get one point, like, to know how to land it. Um, so this is like one thing I say to people when they're giving speeches, like, I'm like, so you think you're going to stand up there and a lot of people will just read the speech in their head as well. They won't even read it out loud. And you think it's going to come out like a Ted talk, <laughs> like with all due respect, like this is 10,000 hours of practice, right? It's really getting to that place where, um, you can have no notes because the stories it's in you, the points are in you, um, so it's a long-winded way of saying, so I'll put something together and then I won't think about it and then I'll come back to it um, and then you have to send it usually in a couple of days in advance, which is a silly exercise because then on the way there, you're really refining the points and so and then I get there and I'm usually like, can I add a slide or move a slide? But mm, Yeah, definitely. How do you translate what the, the organiser will say about, I want people feeling this way with picking out the points and the slides like, do you, in, in your system, have you got emotion tags as well? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, no, I don't have emotion tags. But So last week I was with one of the banks that's in the Royal Commission and it was a really tough speech because you're talking about trust in a company where trust is in crisis. So 
you look at some of the stories and you're like, I can't use that because it's funny. <laughs> or I can't, you know, it actually takes material off the table, which can be quite helpful. Um, and the other strange thing you find, I mean, it's just like writing music, right? You could open with this story and then finish with this story and then in another speech you flip those things so your your closes your opening and they will feel completely different the bookmarking is key so knowing how you're going to open and knowing how you're going to close and i you know i've been in audiences where people um simon cynic's a great example where they're like i've seen him open like that five times like it's a criticism and i'm like because he knows exactly where to take the audience from that point. It's like his opening melody and he's grounding himself on the stage and he will always go somewhere quite different because he's listening and he's feeding off what's going on in the room. So I think the number of opening stories you can have is quite limited. Um, but where you go from that, that's the blank canvas. Hello, it's me again. How cool is that? I just love the level of detail and organization that goes into how Rachel thinks about presentations. And I certainly know a lot of people who speak for a living, but I've never heard anyone have such rigor around their process. I personally love it. So if making presentations is something you do often or even occasionally, I hope that there was some useful stuff in this little excerpt of my chat with Rachel. So that is it for today. If you like this excerpt, you might want to listen to my full chat with Rachel, which I link to in the show notes. And if you're enjoying how I work, maybe just hit the pause button now and spend five seconds or maybe even less to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, maybe leave a star rating or write some kind words. Uh, either way, it brings a huge smile to my face whenever listeners do that. Uh, and thank you to all the wonderful people who have left five star reviews and written lovely words. It, it really does make my day. So that is it for today and I'll see you next time.